Oh no, it's on mute. Oh, oh, oh no. god! Damn it! So <laughs> budget. <laughs> You've ruined our smooth operation. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to the Run of Play podcast. We hope everyone has had a great Christmas and New Year. We're back again with episode 15, a very special episode with a family theme to it. Alongside Abby, Elliot, Liam and myself Cameron, we have former Wales manager Chris Coleman and his son, football agent Sonny Coleman. We'll be talking all about Chris's career and an in-depth look into how a manager and an agent keep a healthy relationship, including that Euro 2016 campaign, Sunderland Till I Die and more. We hope you enjoy the episode. So we've hit the jackpot, not just with one, but two Coleman's. Uh, so welcome, Chris and Sonny Coleman. Uh, we're so pleased to get you on the show, our first of 2021, off to a banger. Um, so we're excited not only just to delve into life as a manager with you, Chris, but obviously also with Sonny to talk about your career as a football agent. So firstly, Chris and Sonny, how have you both been keeping during lockdown? I'll let you go first. Yeah, OK. OK, good. Yeah. Well, nothing to complain about here. We're... Uh... <laughs> Yeah, we're all right. We're all right. We're doing a bit of homeschooling at the minute, which is uh, a bit tough. But um, no, we haven't got anything to complain. A lot of people are a lot worse off than we are. So, uh, and it is, and it is, it is tough for a lot of people at the moment. And um, hopefully, we'll just get through it as quick as we can. Albeit, it's taking a bit longer than we thought. Favorite subject, Chris? My favorite subject. Like homeschooling. Homeschooling. Oh, right. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Take him out in the garden for pee. Yeah, you know what I mean? <laughs> really struggling. Uh, no, yeah, we've done it. It's the second time we've done it. Obviously, it's a second lockdown. And um, so, like Sonny's younger brother and sister, his brother's six, and his younger sister's four. Um, so you can't better than you, can't I? Yeah, of course they can. Of course they can. Of course they can. But it, yeah, it's, it's really hard. But um, I feel sorry for them as well, you know, because they're not. They're not used to. I remember, I remember being a kid, and I remember love being off school. But I think school nowadays is much better, probably. And my children, they love the school, and uh, and they're just a bit lost. So it's, uh, you know, I feel a bit sorry for them, really. Yeah, it's like wanting to be in the office where you never wanted to be in the office before. Where you never wanted to yeah. be. Yeah, yeah. You would have given, you would have given your arms up two weeks off last year, but now yeah. they do the opposite. It's crazy yeah. how it reverses like that. Sunny, what's your lockdown been like so far? I mean. I've seen Harry Potter about 17 times. Um, <laughs> I've, 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 I'm spat my water I've, out. I've tried to, uh, I've tried to do some puzzles, but it's tough. It's been tough, obviously. At the start, it was a little bit of a novelty. Um, but as my old man said, look, a lot of people have got it a lot worse. So just, just, mm. just wait it out and, and hope for the best. Hopefully, with a vaccine now, that can uh, speed everything up and we can get back to yeah. normal or a new yeah. normal. Yeah. So we've talked about personal life, um, Sunny. Obviously, as a football agent, um, January must be busy. So could you give us a bit of an insight into kind of what you're currently working on, maybe who you represent and uh, the work you're doing at the moment? Yeah, so, I mean, we, we for, this, for the last few years, we did a, we, we did a lot in China. Um, so that's been interesting dealing with that for obvious reasons. We, 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 a lot of people you see doing like a lot of international deals in China. We took a slightly different approach with it. We did... We tried. We went with a more domestic-based uh, sort of um, 
plan. So we've got quite a lot of domestic players out there, um, which kind of helps us gain a bit of trust at the clubs. And that's how we, we, start, we did a few international deals. So we did Czech Tiose, helped with Papis Tiose. Um, but that's obviously stopped now. So that's been, been a bit interesting. So we've, we've kind of re, regathered and um, we've got a lot of young lads coming through now um, all over the country. Uh, so we've been doing, dealing with a lot of them. It's going to be a tough year, I think, for a lot of lads because whereas a lot of them, lot of them in the Premier League, they, they leave and they go to like League Two or Conference, the clubs just are not going to have the money now. And that's doubled down with the salary cap. So there's going to be a lot of work for not much reward. Um, and there's going to be a lot of people who are, un- are unhappy. Mm. It's, such a, it's such a tough time. But obviously, given um, you know, your dad's career and his successes, um, was going into football always the aim for your own career? I think so, for sure. I think, obviously, when I realised that I had two left feet, I wasn't going to be a footballer. Um, <laughs> I thought I'd, I'd, I'd love to have been a part of it anyway, shape or form. And my old man, he calls it the dark side, but um, still a part of it, in my opinion. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, always like I love I love the game. I live the game. It's part of my family. It's part of my part of my growing up, and it's my passion. So, in my opinion, it's the next best next best thing. Chris, yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna say, Chris, was was that your hopes for, for for Sonny? Was that where you wanted him to go down? Did you want him to either play football, or be involved in it in some sort of way? Yeah, he was he was unlucky actually because when he started playing, he was I think nine or ten. Really started playing for a team. Um, and he started there to improve a lot. He was getting better and better. And when he was 12 or 13, he was, he was, he was okay. He had some really good attributes, you know. He, was, uh, he, was always a, he always had a good athletic shape and he was quick. Uh, he was getting better and better with the ball. But then he went, he changed school and he went to a school where they played predominantly rugby. He never mm. played football, really. Uh, and he missed like three or four years. And you can't really do that. I'm not, I don't know whether or not or how far he ever would have got to if he really threw himself into it. Um, but he kind of got sidetracked with athletics and rugby and the school he went to was a terrific school. It was a great school. Um, but he didn't really play a lot of football, you know. Um, so I, who knows? You, you, you never know. But I, for me, it was more of whatever he wanted to do. Um, and I would have backed him and he wanted to be in football. So... Um, Obviously, I had a one or two contacts and he went with one or two different agencies. Got rid of some cobwebs in the first couple of jobs. Um, kind of learned the ropes a little bit, learned the hard way. And he's been now with Distinct uh, for seven years, I think, maybe seven or eight years. Seven years, yeah. And he hasn't he hasn't looked back, you know. And um, obviously, Distinct, they look after me as well. Um, Sonny's boss is Emmanuel Palladini. Um, and, and, and they look after our affairs. So um, it's worked out really, really well. He's done really, really well for himself. And I think it's like anything, isn't it? If you don't put the time and you don't put the effort, then you don't get yeah, much. Seven years now, yeah. And at the start, you've got to put it in and not expect anything out. This is, you know, you've got to start from the bottom and work your way up. And it's not necessarily the most talented people that get anywhere. It's the ones who just persist and, yeah. and, and keep hanging on the door. That's what you've got to do. That's why we're all here today. Well, that's, that's for that's for anyway. Well, there's always there's always there's always only only found if this doesn't work out. So <laughs> we um, it's interesting you saying that then and the comment you made, Sonny, about the dark side. Um, and also yeah. just I think the fact that you always hear managers like complain about agents in the press and that sort of thing. The thing that get really wound up with them. I just sort of wanted to know: um, Have you two sort of worked together on any deals, maybe with those athletes in the past? And 
if you have like what that working relationship's been like? We've never, no, I've never signed a player um, from distinct agency. I think that's not because of any other reason other than it just hasn't worked out. It's not something that we've been interested in or one or two of their players where, where I've been working. Obviously, I was an international manager for a long, long time, yeah. so there was no deals to be done. But then obviously in China and Sunderland, but when I was at Sunderland, we had no money, so we couldn't sign any players. Um, and in China, we signed uh, a few players, but they were from uh, Korea um, and Morocco. So um, I think it's I think I think it's tough as well. I think when obviously it's tough for that. It's hard to. There's a lot of grey area, and people see the conflict of interest there, and it's happened before. It's yeah. been brought up a lot. Yeah. But you did help. You helped with a few yeah, deals in China. Um, just just purely on a basis of um, speaking to the agent involved with the player. Um, and you know that's you know it can be a help because for managers you've, you've just touched on it. Their managers we all complain about agents, but yeah. the thing is, I remember being a player in the eighties where it was completely the other way around, where there weren't many agents, but most chairmen absolutely ripped up players mm-hmm. regarding contracts, and you know players were getting stitched up left, right, and centre. So we complain about agents now, but at one point. You know, players were just getting fleeced left, right, and centre with contracts. Yeah, and that's yeah. Why I think it. To look after I think it works a lot. You you have got the stigma about the football agents. It's pushed by the clubs. It's pushed by the media because everyone likes to point the finger. But you've got these 16, 17, 18 year old lads who've got their families who've got no experience in football, and the club at the end of the day is a business. So of course they're not going to want someone who's clued up to come in and, and discuss it. Obviously, not all clubs are the same, but it works both ways. And I think it's an easy thing to point. Although not all, not, yeah, because, not all agents are good, I won't say that, but not all clubs are either. No, of course, of course. This is not, <laughs> there's good and bad in every industry, in every corner of the world. And, you know, agents are no different. There's some really bad ones, some really dodgy, really, really bad agents. And there's also some very, very, very good agents out there that they've got the, the you know, they, they want to look after players for the right reasons. And there's, there's, there's a lot of good agents out there. They, they're not all bad, that's for sure. Sunny somewhere in the middle there, or are we <laughs> down the bottom? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Chris, uh, we wanted to touch on uh, the Euros campaign. I think obviously uh, an incredible, yeah. incredible time. Um, and we actually spoke to uh, David Cotterell on the podcast previously. Uh, we know, obviously, part yeah. of that part of that squad, and he wax lyrical really about the atmosphere that the that the squad had and how you know together they were um that's not something always associated with international football with squads being sort of together and and the atmosphere being really really good um sometimes going into a tournament it can be but was it something you focused on going into that tournament on you know having everyone you know as a family and 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 together yeah the the tournament in terms of team spirit, it was easy. Because when people talk about team spirit and um, teammates, listen, everybody's happy and everybody's in a good mood and everybody's you met when you're winning and you're up there. That's not where the team spirit comes from, you know. The team spirit, you, you build your team spirit when it's going wrong and you're losing and there's nowhere to hide. And then you look around to find out who's hiding and who's ready to... To stand the ground. So our team spirit came from a, 
a time where we were losing, we were being heavily criticised. Um, that's where we galvanised, and that's where our that's where our real team spirit come into it, and our grit and determination to to work hard for each other and enjoy each other's company. And and I, because I was very wary, I know international football. I played international football, and you turn up, you're never with the same group of people twice because it's never the same squad. You know, there's there's one game one month, two months later, you meet up against a different squad. So we really focused heavily on the environment when the players come in to the training camps. Uh, we wanted to know what they really, what, what they did at their clubs, what the training grounds were like. So we wanted to mirror the top level, the Premier League environment, the training ground. And we tried to tick as many boxes as we could with that. And we wanted to take away excuses from the players because we wanted to prepare like a Premier League club. Um, and I think in the past, Wales, a little country, three million people, we've never achieved everything, anything. And it's easy for, for the powers that be to sit, say, well, we can't stay in that hotel, it's too expensive. We can't train on that pitch, it's too expensive. So then you, you're getting second best and then you're going to give second mm. best. And that's what happened. So my big fight really was to speak with the, the bosses and the powers that be and say, we need to invest more in where we stay, where we train, what we eat, blah, 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 blah. Um, and thankfully, you know, they, they backed me on that. And the players then could see we were trying to do the best for them in our preparation uh, and they give it, get the, but they give it back tenfold. But when we got to the tournament, it was, you know, that the work was already done in terms of team spirit. It was, the lads were rock solid. They were humble, they were proper soldiers. They were, you know, there's best I've ever worked with. Absolutely great bunch of guys. And, um, you know, that tournament at the time, six weeks, 24 seven, you're at it. And, you know, it's very, very tiring. And I was exhausted when we came back from the, the tournament and I didn't even kick a ball. So I don't know what the lads were <laughs> like, but it, it takes, you know, emotionally it takes a lot, a lot, a lot out of you because, you know, we, at, at one point, I, I, I say the same story when I go around Wales and I do talks, there's nothing, when you're, a, when you're a club manager and you've got 20, 30, 40, 50,000 fans, and you're losing and you're disappointing them supporters and they're letting you know it's, it's quite tough, you know, there's a lot of pressure. There's nothing worse than disappointing your country. There's millions of people that are disappointed with you and not happy with you. So we, we experienced that. And then when we flipped that uh, and they were very proud of us, that was, in, it was a very powerful feeling that. And so the tournament was uh, the icing on the cake, really. But the work had been done in terms of the team spirit. Amazing. Do you, would you think you prefer managing internationally or at a club level where you're kind of day-to-day hands-on every day do you think you prefer that side of it or I mean obviously your experience of international football has been incredible but yeah I think because of the way certainly the last four years of my time with Wales we went very very well um I think it is there is dead right there's two different types of, of management really and there's two different types of preparation um and expectation but um, you do miss the day-to-day stuff, you know, and you, you do miss the hands-on stuff. And at a club, you probably, if you've got a good team at a club, you've got twice a year, you've got a chance, even if you've got a small amount of money, to buy or sell to change your team. You know, obviously, international football, you've got what you've got. Mm. There's no buying and selling. You can't, there's, you know, that's what you've got, the group of players. You're either waiting for some good young ones to come through you're holding on to the older ones who are good because you don't want them to retire because you can't yet replace them. 
So the international, international experience is different. I, I totally, the first 18 months, I hated it, despised it, really did, hated it. And I thought I'd made, made a big mistake. But once I, once, once I got it going and it wasn't so much the, the winning, everybody was great winning. It was seeing something that you've tried to build, flourish, and then be successful. And that feeling is, is a great feeling, you know? And uh, when I left Wales, uh, I went to Sunderland who were bottom of the championship and everybody told me I was mad to do it, but I went because Sunderland's a big, big club, you know, it's a real big club, it's huge fan base. I know what the people are like up in the Northeast. They love, they love their football and I want to be a part. I, I, want to, I wanted to be the one that was going to turn the club around, you know, very romantic, I know. <laughs> uh, but I'm not sorry I did it because, you know, it was an experience where I've never had before, you know, the, the, experience of relegation was was really so powerful powerfully negative it, it's hard to describe it was it, it was awful but it was what it was and you take a you, you know you, you take a slap in the face you've got to get up you as the saying goes you fall down six times get up seven and uh but Sunderland's a great club you know and and it, it was a, it was an incredible experience um and then of course we went to China and in our first year, we did really well. We were we arrived when they were bottom three. Um, about 10 games in, they were in the bottom three. And we ended up finishing top six, which was a great season. But then we lost half that team. And we had no money no money to to rebuild the team. And after eight games, we had a bad start. And we, 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 we got removed from our post. And that's football. So my last two jobs domestically, Certainly, Sunderland didn't go so well. In China, the first part was great. The second part wasn't so great. So when I get asked international football or domestic football, I'd probably say international football. <laughs> That's where I got most of my success. And recent experience. <laughs> yeah, recent experience, exactly. Um, and Sonny, you were, you were out in Wales. Um, I see Sonny's moving around, but you were out in Wales, Sonny, um, for that tournament. As a fan, you, you, mentioned, you mentioned that as a fan, you kind of support, you know, wherever your dad is. Um, so I can imagine going out to Wales was an incredible experience. I mean, yeah, it was, um, I can't even put it into words. It was, I actually went out with our mutual friend, Adam, um, Adam Tarty. Yep. We flew out for, I flew out for the first game individually and flew, I must have flown back and forth about five times. Obviously you can't book too far ahead in, in these sorts of things. So um, I flew out for, for the Russia game in Toulouse after we'd lost to England um, in the last minute, which was, Absolutely heartbreaking. Um, but we flew out and I've never been a part of something that you just sit there like you just do not want it to end. And you sat there and you know you're living in a moment that, that will live with you for the rest of your life. And it's just, you can't put it into words how incredible it was. And the camaraderie of all Welsh, all the Welsh people out there, there was thousands upon thousands upon thousands. Um, and every nook and cranny up to crazy hours in the morning. And my old man, uh, he called me and said, look, keep, keep a low profile. Don't, don't get, get, get too lively. Um, it's impossible not to in those situations. Yeah, can I just can I just cut across him there, guys? Because <laughs> what happened was, yeah, the first game was in Bordeaux, and um, he'd arrived, and he's out with his mate Tarpy, who I've known since he was a since he's a kid. Um, so I said, "Look, behave yourself, because you don't you never know who's watching. Have a good time, enjoy yourself, but keep a low profile." <laughs> so, like three o'clock in the morning, my phone gets pinged. Somebody emails me. Um, some guy I haven't talked to for ages, and is a is a picture of my boy uh, from two o'clock in the morning, standing on the table with a Welsh hat on, 
beer in his hand, singing songs. And I thought, it, it must have been five hours earlier, I, I, he, he said to me, yeah, no problem, Dad, I'll keep the lid for it. We're only going to have a bite to eat and a glass of wine, you know. And uh, there he was partying hard in Bordeaux and on, standing on tables singing Welsh songs with, uh, with all the taffs. So uh, that's how much he listens to me. Wouldn't, wouldn't have changed it. No, you have to do It's it. amazing, that tournament as well. Like, um, I think obviously Russia was a unique tournament, but that 2016 one really feels like the last one with like all the fans just going into a melting pot and being in one place. And it was like, I remember not, not even just Wales and like some of the other home nations as well. Um, even like when Northern Ireland fans were out there, it was like, for you, Sonny, as a fan, was that sort of like the, the best it can get really, where you've got you've got ridiculously strong ties to the team, they're doing well, and you're in that like melting pot of culture. That's, that's the, the thing you said, Ed, is there was a pub called The Melting Pot, which were outside. And uh, <laughs> we got, in Toulouse at the time, we had the Swedes and we had the Russians. And uh, all the Swedes were singing were, can I swear on this podcast or not? Yeah. Uh, okay. All they were singing were, we're shit, but our girls are fit, over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> and all the Russians and all the Welsh together were just everyone was worried about the Russians obviously there was in the papers about all the hooligans going out there so like me and we were like a bit scared we were like let's like let's like everyone was like make sure you can see where you can run away from because they're, they're coming to, to, to crack skulls over there but they only wanted to, to hurt the English so the Welsh are fine so they, they, all the Welsh and the Russians <laughs> together singing how much they hate England and I had to maybe put a little accent on to not sound so English yeah <laughs> Tarpy was hiding. I say, I say that though, but you know, after the after the England Wales game, uh, we lost obviously last kick two one, mm. and we come out of the ground, and right outside the stadium, um, the streets were packed with Welsh fans and English fans. They were playing football together, drinking together, singing together. Mm. There wasn't there wasn't a hint of violence. There wasn't a hint of animosity. All the Welsh and English fans together. And, I, and that never got reported, which I was a little bit disappointed with because it was so much about, there was a bit of violence, obviously, a lot of violence with the Russian fans. But the Russian English fans, I'll tell you what, outside the stadium, they, they behaved impeccably. They were fantastic. Well, we can report it now, Chris. That's going, that's <laughs> well, going out. Well, first. Good. Yeah. We'll quote it. Um, yeah, yeah. Chris, you touched on Sunderland um, a little bit earlier on, and I'm sure you get asked about Sunderland all the time, uh, whether it's from the job at hand um, or the popularity of Sunderland Till I Die. Um, and we've all seen that documentary style, we've obviously seen it done with Sunderland, we've seen it done with Leeds, Tottenham, Man City. Um, it's becoming more and more common. Were you aware of the cameras when that was going on or did it just feel normal after a while? I, I didn't even know there was gonna be a doc, I was in a documentary until after I signed the contract at Sunderland. <laughs> oh my God. Oh God. Wow. That's the, that's a, I signed the contract. Signed the con I signed the contract in Winchester. And when I got up to Sunderland, I got told, oh yeah, and by the way, we forgot to tell you, there's a, there's a documentary. Um, and I was like, one you know, it's not, I'm, I'm a bit of a, it's different. Like you say, you say, no, Abby, there's, you know, the, the one that leads in Man City and they come across really well. I haven't watched the Sunderland one. I can't watch it because there's too many painful memories. And um, but it's not something I would have ever agreed to mm. because it's just I, I, the, the dressing room is there in the sanctum. Nobody comes in the dressing room. They wanted to come in the dressing room, and I said that's not going to happen. So they, they they were fine. But then they had the training sessions and around the ground. And these the people who were filming it, you know, they behave really really well. Mm. They you know they weren't rude, they, but they, they're there. And it's something that you're not used to, mm. you know, having somebody in my office filming me taking calls or 
it was just weird for me and having them around the training ground watching my sessions where normally I wouldn't have anybody watching the sessions unless I've invited somebody to come along and watch. So it all felt a bit weird, but, um, you know, I, I haven't watched it. Kit Simons, my, my right arm, I should call him. Um, he's, he told me about, you know, it's come out and, you know, it's, uh, it's a good documentary, but I, I can't, I, I can't bring myself to watch that. Mm. Well, from watching it, I, you come across amazingly well. Yeah. Like there's not, there's definitely no, they've not stitched you up. That's all I can say. No, uh, no, I, I, yeah. <laughs> like, 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 like I said, Cameron, they were, they were nice people. Actually, the guy who's filming it is a staunch. They got there. They called Fullwell. They did all the stuff with the. Yeah, they did the, well. You know, you know the carpool karaoke yeah. with Paul McCartney. They did all of that. They're really good guys, to be fair. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah, they were really, really, honestly, very respectful. It's not their fault. They're, they're doing a film. That's what they're paid to do. But from my perspective, um, it was just a bit weird for me, you know, and um, just having them around. Uh, not not because they were bad guys. They weren't. They were really good guys, really good guys. And they never, ever, you know, crossed me or anything like that. It was just funny for me to have that experience. A, when I, I didn't re realize that was the case until I arrived there. And because the B, I've never had that experience at all when I've been managing or playing anywhere else. Mm. It's strange. Have you watched it, Sonny? Yeah, I've seen it. I've seen it. Yeah, it's, it, it, as I've said to him a few times, it, 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 it it's really raw. But I think it, they didn't they didn't cut anything out. They didn't try and manipulate any scenes to make it look like something was happening that wasn't. And it came across really well. I think also what was important there was you saw how much that club means to the people up there. And I don't think I've ever been anywhere where it's just so ingrained and the people are half time crying. They want they wanted to win and. You can't even put into words every game, home and away, and if like you can't. I can't say say enough about them to be honest. Yeah, it is it is central to that community, isn't it? It's like there, that is their everything. I think one thing I just wanted to ask is, can you, when you've like obviously managed quite a lot of different sides, played for quite a lot of different sides as well, can you feel that as a player or manager that when there's that sort of not stronger feeling behind the club is unfair on the other teams, but like when there's that sort of sense of community and like real passion. Oh yeah, I, I remember playing there as a going there as a player playing against Sunderland, and then it, then it was Walker Park. Um, and we used to say because we were the like they used to call us Southern Softies. Obviously, we, we, <laughs> I was playing for Chris, playing for Crystal Palace. You know, we were called Southern Softies. Softies, I don't know about that. <laughs> no, not, not, yeah, there's nothing soft, nothing soft about Croydon and Norbury or Thorneith. I know that, but if you, you know, if you play in any of the northern teams and you're from London, you're a Southern softy. So we used to go up there and we used to say, you know, amongst ourselves, nobody go missing. It's going to be tough. We used to play down on a Tuesday night in January, freezing cold, but the ground would be rocking and the atmosphere was just electric. It, it really was, and that some some people are put off by that because it's too much. Um, but if you can get if you can get a group of people like that on your side, yeah, it really is. You, you could take that so far because you know they, that atmosphere that's created, and then you get a bit of momentum. You start winning games, and pretty much then you feel like you're never going to lose when you play at home because the crowd get you over the line. Listen, look look what's happening now with COVID, and you're looking at the games. They will look like friendly games. The, the football's about the fans. This, if there's anything that's good that's come out of COVID, it's how much the fans mean to football. And without them, football's not the same. Mm. Um, so, and the Sunderland fans, like like Sonny just just said, they they are a special group of people up there. They, it's not for everybody, and they don't suffer fools. I tell you that. And if you let them down, they let you know. But 
I always say, if, you, if they think you've given everything you've got and you've got nothing else to give, that, that they are forgiven them. Yeah, make me want to go back to, oh, as if I wasn't missing going to the stadiums yeah. enough. <laughs> yeah, no, I know, I know, I miss it. I miss it as yeah. well. I miss it. I miss it. It is for those, for those communities, though, especially Sunderland, you can imagine it hits harder there that it's not, yeah. that it's not, you know, they're not able to go to the stadium and something that's completely central to their, to their, to their lives and to their communities. That's, that's well, where it, it hurts most. Exactly. It's, it's, it's exactly right. And you think when you've had a, you know, the men and women, they, they, they've been working all week because it's 2020 now. It's not like 1970, where it's the dominantly men. is men and women go to football. Everybody goes to football. And they're, they're men or women, they've had a hard, hard week. There's something else going on in their life that they're not happy with. It's an outlet. They go to the football. They can forget about that, throw themselves into their team. And they have that little outlet at the weekend. And, you know, that's been taken away. And it's, uh, it's it is a yeah, I think a lot of it as well, everyone preaches these days about mental health aspects. And I think a lot of people have seen what, an outlet football, as you said, an outlet football is and can be for people. And without that, obviously, it's nice to have the communities online. It's, we can watch them virtually, but it's not the same. And it's, it's tough, I think. It's, it's really, it's really tough. Yeah, of course it is. It's hard. Listen, it's hard for the players, you know, because it, it can, I can see it on them. It's, it's, it's not, because I've been lucky enough to be in a player, the best feeling walking out the tunnel into a full stadium, home or away, that, that feeling is amazing. Mm. And uh, it really, you're on your toes because you don't want to let people down and you've got to produce. And, and then you start seeing some amazing things on the pitch. So, and, you know, I look at some of the games now and some of the players, you know, I think they are trying, of course they're trying, but they're just lacking that little bit of, you know, that, that edge that's created with some of the full I, I think that shows in the, in, the, in the erratic results that we see left mm. like this, some crazy yeah. ones that you just yeah. wouldn't expect. And I think sometimes that can yeah. show in that. There's no home. Yeah. There's no home advantage anymore. Definitely not. No, that's true. None at all. No, that's absolutely true. Do you know why? Who I think has been affected the most? I think Liverpool because mm. Jurgen Klopp style of play is like heavy metals, full, bing bang boom, right? And we'll go until we drop. And if we drop with ten minutes to go, then too bad. But we're going to go from the start, and the crowd buzz off, especially at Anfield. Mm. Albeit that the home record is incredible still, but. I just think the way Liverpool play, you know, that really gets the crowd going, and you know they bounce off each other. Um, and I, th- I think it's been tough for Liverpool without that because of their style of play. And like Abby said, I think the atmosphere is well, it is no atmosphere, uh, and and then players start doing things they would normally do. The game don't f- feel real or the same, um, and then you start having freaky results. We've seen that with Sheffield United as well. I think that's been uh, mm. obviously the story of like. You know they were flying in the Premier League when they had the fans at home, and yeah, they've yeah. Com- you know completely dropped off just because it's just not yeah. the same for them, and they they did thought, genuinely yeah, feed off I, that atmosphere. Yeah, I thought yeah. that be the second season will be tough for them because it always is. Yeah, I thought they'd do well the first season because they're a surprise package. I thought the second season would be tough. I didn't think it would be so tough for them, mm. but you are right as well. They have missed that. You know, that, that crowd there at Bramalin is another crowd that's a great crowd to play in front of, and they have missed that. But you know one that's actually benefited from not having it? West Ham. West Ham would not be... West, Fresh, they wouldn't be where they were. Well, yeah. the thing is that West Ham, it, 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 it hasn't changed at West Ham because yes. they just flick the speakers on anyway and pump it through. 
No, I, you know, I'm not been to that ground yet, but I, everybody that says the, the pitch is so far away from the fans. Yeah. Um, and it's such a shame because Upton Park was an amazing place to play when it was right on top of you. The walk down Green Street. Oh, it's always amazing. I remember, I remember this is early 90s. We played there and I went to get, I went, the ball went out for a throw in. I think it was the chicken when I went over to pick the ball up and I got cracked on the back of the head by one of the supporters. <laughs> And someone said to me, what are you doing going over there to get the ball? You don't go over there to get And I was a bit naive. I just come from Swansea. And, and I never went, next time I went for the throw, and I never went anywhere near it, mind you. It was, uh, Upton Park was an amazing place yeah. as well. Typical West Ham. So, Sonny, um, we mentioned it a little bit earlier, but obviously in the peak of the January transfer window, I know you might mention that it's maybe not exactly the same as it is in, in other months. Um, but... It's still a busy time for you and your talent. Are there any big deals that you can give us, give us some inside tracking, some secrets, or or any that might come up in the summer that you you're working on? I think well, for for me, it's been it's been obviously we're going to be tough anyway with the new Brexit rules, and I've really felt that we've got we had a few we've got a few players I've recently signed. We're working with uh, Pierre van Hooydonk's son Sydney, who's at NAC Breda. Um, he's doing really well scoring goals. Um, we had a lot of options for him in in, in the Championship in the Premier League that maybe would have sent him back um, but because he's playing second division he now doesn't qualify for a work permit and he wouldn't even got through to the appeals process so we've had to reassess that um, and we've seen that with a few players now and it's closed a lot of avenues down um, but look we adapt everyone's in the same boat um, but he'll he, he hopefully gets into the Bundesliga um, in terms of big deals I think we'll, I think we'll, uh, it'll be a while before we start seeing as marquee signings we've been seeing in the years. But I think that maybe isn't such a bad thing. It was getting a bit out of hand, in my opinion. Um, no. Some players going for crazy money. Um, so I think it'll maybe act as a bit of a, a bit of a leveller. Yeah, definitely. You've seen um, the pressure that sort of, you said you were working with a lot of young players, like young players going for huge fees. The Literally. expectation on them is then incredibly high. Sure. If we sort of level that out and we sort of have that, opportunity for young players and able to go for lower fees but also exactly then the pressure you, you, you look at you look at the lads who, who go i mean the ones who've gone to germany obviously look at Jaden sancho jude bellingham they didn't go for massive massive money but they go to a foreign country and it's almost like the pressure's off and they can play with complete freedom yeah i mean even little little silly things like the, 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 the social media abuse of being a different language they can't read it um <laughs> but no but it, it, it's 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 it's, it's the that, pressure yeah. cooker of the, yeah. of the english game and you see, I think we'll start to see a lot more players heading over there. Um, obviously, work permit uh, permitting. I don't know exactly how it works the other way around, but the, the German clubs and we work with um, a company called Sports Total. Um, they've got Marco Royce, they've got Tony Cruz, they've got loads of players over in Germany, and they're always, always asking, "Who have you got? What young players have you got that can come over? Send us over a list." They're hungry for the English talent. I don't think it's technically. I don't think it's a bad thing for for the national game either. Definitely not. I think that that time of where you had to play in the Premier League to play for England or play for the under twenty ones or play for the, yeah. uh, you know, that's sort of gone now, isn't it? Like you can play wherever you need um, to get football 100%. and you can get a chance. I think as well. I think even with my old man in terms of managing, he's said that he's had quite an eclectic career and he's never been afraid to go abroad. And I think we'll start to see that happen more with managers too now. I think you could count on one hand managers ten years ago who'd done well abroad or gone abroad. Um, but what what, what yeah. have you done? Have three countries now? China, 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 Cyprus, and Spain. China, Greece, and Spain. It's Greece and Spain. Sorry, yeah. Very important to think. So I think you'll start to see a lot more. Obviously, Billich has gone out to China, and 
you saw Mick McCarthy go out to, to Cyprus and these are the more Pardew went to Holland so they'll start to there'll be a lot more of that in, in my opinion in the coming months and years yeah I think one one really interesting thing with that is like with a lot of managers going out um one thing that's been a trend over the last sort of 18 months is the bigger clubs getting quite sort of like sentimental with the people they're bringing in as well if you look at like Lampard, Arteta, Solskjaer I think obviously Chris when you were at Fulham and you sort of finished your playing career there you then stayed onto the coaching staff and then after that became mm. manager I think the season after mm. that um what what was that like I think not maybe at the time obviously nowhere near as many people had done that um how how was that in terms of like winning I mean, obviously you were a legend there already, but sort of convincing the fans that you were the right man for the job and going literally straight from playing to, to managing. Yeah, I, I was just lucky, right place, right time, because there's not another chairman of a Premier League club that would give a 32-year-old inexperienced rookie the reins of the Premier League club that, you know, they, they needed to stay in the league. Financially, they needed to, to stay in the Premier League and... But that was uh, that was the beauty of working for Mohammed Al Fayyad at the time. He was, you know, he was very much his own man. He liked to surprise. He liked to do things differently, and that really worked in my favour. I'd been there five years as a player and as the captain. So he, um, yeah, he. Well, it was the end of. I took the took the job as a caretaker at the end of one season for five games, and we were in a relegation battle, and we won that. And then he gave me the job. So who would you won, kept, What you won three, drew one, lost one. One, three, drew one and lost one. Yeah, we lost away to Leeds. We drew away to Chelsea and we beat Charlton, Newcastle, Everton, Newcastle. Newcastle. Yeah, those are the. I never forget those games because those games really got me the job, got me the gig in the first mm. place. So, and in that first season, I mean, the Fulham fans, I don't think, wanted me as a manager. They wanted me to stay at the club, but they they just thought I was too inexperienced to take the job, and they were right to think that. You know, I think it was only. I always say that. I said, you know, my ego that told me I could do it. I must have had a big ego to think I could do the job. Um, but that's what got me through. And in that first season, we, we had some one or two results. You know, you look back in, in whatever industry you're in, you look back and certain times, times you'd like to forget and other moments where you wish you were still living in those moments. And that first season, we beat Man United at Old Trafford 3-1, I think it was. And it was just an amazing game. And it was just one of those seasons. We, I mean, we were top four in January and we sold Louis Saha to Man United. Uh, and then I think we ended up finishing ninth in the end, but we were absolutely flying. Um, and it was one of those, you know, it was, a, it was a dream first start, first year, because a lot of managers, they don't last the first year and you never see them again. It's such a tough industry. And if you're lucky enough to get hold of a good team and you, 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 you do well with it and you do your best with it and you get some results, then... You last your first season. Someone told me if you last your first season, you still be working in twenty years' time if you want to. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, it was best, uh, best get a job soon then. Well, yeah, you got to get me a job soon. <laughs> you think uh, But it was yeah, it was amazing, amazing, great club for them. It was a really good club. It was um, it's a nice club, you know, down by the river. They do things the right way. Um, it's got good history. They just. The, the football ground itself is fantastic because it's quite small and the night games, I always used to love playing in the night at, at the cottage down by the river. Was, the, the atmosphere was, in, it was an absolutely beautiful atmosphere um, and it's a great, great club. And I was just lucky that Mohamed Al-Fayyad was there at the time. I'd had some really good managers 
Kevin Keegan and John Tagana before me, who I learned a lot from. Um, and yeah, it was uh, I was just in the right place at the right time. And sometimes uh, you you need that if you're going to progress. It sounds like there's quite a lot of parallels between your the end to your career and the beginning of your managing career to what's going on with Wayne Rooney now, because obviously he's just retired today um, and, and becoming kind of permanent uh, manager at, at Derby. What would your kind of what would his, what's his first kind of thing on the agenda? What, what would you say to him, like, get this right and you'll you'll set up yourself for, for a good manager, managerial career? I think, yeah, just at one stage or another in our life, we all try to be something that we're not. Sometimes for the right reasons, sometimes for the wrong reasons. Uh, but football players, they see straight through you if you pretend too much. Listen, mm. uh, Wayne will know he's been in... He's played for the best manager in my view that's ever been uh, and won everything with that manager. So mm. whether he got, he had a good relationship with Alex Ferguson, whether he loved him, he didn't, whatever, he, he still remember what Alex did. But the main thing for Wayne is just to be his own man. And I think he is his own man, Wayne Rooney. I think he's big enough and brave enough to make decisions. He's obviously faced criticism in the past. It doesn't seem to faze him. You see that he walks onto the pitch and he, he owns the pitch. He's just got that presence. And he's been like that since he was 16. So I think I yeah. I, I think as long as he's got a good team, um, I, I think he'll be fine, Wayne. Um, I think he'll be a good manager. And, I, I you know, players who share, share the dressing room with me and I look at some of the players I played with and one or two have gone on to do this, that and the other. Um, and I share the dressing room with Stan Collymore and I never, ever thought he would have gone on and have his own radio talk show. Never in a million years. <laughs> But then he'd never have thought that I'd go on to be a manager. Um, and it's amazing, really. You know, it's amazing. It's, if you've got something, you, I mean, the point is, if you've got something in your head and an idea that you want to go and do something, no matter where you've come from or what you've been doing, if you've really got a passion about it um, and a little bit of talent, if you've got a real passion and determination, you can go, you know, you can go and do some, you can go do things that people never thought you could. Uh, and Wei Rooney's background is he's been one of the best players in the world. He's highly decorated, but it's nothing like management. It's completely different. But as as much as I know of him and his personality and know of him as a man, I think I think you'd be I think you'd be fine, Wayne. I think you'd be okay. Amazing. So Chris mentioned it a little bit. He sneak he actually snuck it in there, but um about his next step. So Sonny, as his representative, what is the what is what is the next step for, for Chris Coleman? Where's the next gig coming from? I think when um Obviously, coming back from China, I think you obviously been in, in Wales for six years. Took Sunderland, went just immediately out to China, and it's a lot to happen. I think he came back, turned down a fair amount of decent decent opportunities, just to have a year off really with the Littlands, and because they, they obviously they bought a new house in Winchester and hadn't really lived in it. It's been in Sunderland and in China, so I think it was good to settle down. And but I think now, look, I'm sure obviously speak for himself, but I think he's ready now, and it'll be about taking that right job and the, and the right opportunity. Um, yeah, that was that was a good idea, wasn't it? To have a rest and then the pandemic hit and now no more yeah. job. I should have come back in straight away. Hitchin, amazing. Hitchin to get back in. No, as I said, like, every time I, it's like we, we speak, obviously jobs come up and you hear things and you get different calls. It's, it's the same every single job and you get, get journalists every time. Is he going for it? Is he going for this one? Is he going for that one? But we get the same. Like we look after managers all over and it's the same. Everyone gets linked in the papers with everything, but. I say ninety-five percent of the time, there's no truth to to what's set in the set list of names that they 
they try and churn around exactly. each time. Yeah. We mm. we had Fabrizio Romano on um previous podcast. It's just interesting to hear the other side, Sonny, because obviously he's got his contacts. Uh, have you got mm. journalist contacts that you like to feed stuff to? I've got a few. I've got a few. I've got. There's, there's, you know, you, it's the same with anything, though. You, you, wherever you work, you, you, you'll get people you like, and you'll you be a builder. I prefer to work with those 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 people there. It's, it's the way it works. And for some people, I don't like, and I'm sure they don't like me. <laughs> some people I do like. So that's how it works. He was very complimentary of agents on the whole. <laughs> they feed his information. That's why <laughs> he can't slag them off. <laughs> So our sponsored intro of the week comes from the one and only Glenn Hoddle. What's the segment called, Glenn? Against the runner play. Yes, it is. <laughs> it's against the runner play. <laughs> I'm so sorry you two had to hear this. You can mute, turn off your right, videos. <laughs> very inventive, very inventive, yes. Very imaginative. So basically for each guest we get on the show, we have a quick fire question round um, where you basically just have to say the first answer that comes into your head out of a possible two answers. Uh, it's been a huge hit so far, um, but as there's two of you this week, we wanted to bring a little bit of a competitive element. Not too much, but a little bit. Um, so Sonny, you'll go first, um, and then Chris, you'll have to either agree or debate with Sonny and try and convince him why he's wrong. Right, let's do it. Ready, let's do it. ready Sonny? I'm ready. Cool. First one's going to be easy. Uh, manager or agent? Manager. Oh, maybe, maybe not. Um, Premier League or Champions League? Premier League. Fair enough. Uh, Gareth Bale or Ryan Giggs? Gareth Bale. Not even. <laughs> oh, that was a final answer. That was quick. <laughs> Do you want to think about that for a Doesn't second? Doesn't even need the second option. Um, Messi or Ronaldo? Ronaldo. Very nice. Uh, Nike or Adidas? Adidas. I think I know why. Um, <laughs> Lampard or Gerard? Gerard. 40-yard screamer or tiki-taka team goal? 40-yard screamer. Every time. Uh, if you were to go into management, or if you had gone into management, uh, would you have been a suit or tracksuit manager? Suit, all day. Suit, yeah, I thought that might be your answer. I've seen you on a night out. <laughs> uh, and finally, last-minute winner or a 5-0 thrashing? Last-minute winner. Brilliant. I just realised, has anyone been taking notes on what answer? I've got it. Yeah, All up here. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. I've got it. All right. Okay. I've got it. I'll, I'll hand over to Abby. Now on to you, Chris. Um, right. So I'm sure you've got your answers prepared already. Um, <laughs> manager or agent? We want me to answer that. We have to ask you. We have to ask you. Manager. What manager? Uh, Premier League or Champions League? Premier League. Gareth Bale or Ryan Giggs? Gareth Bale. Ooh, I think we thought you might split then. I played. I played with Ryan. Ryan's the best player I've ever played with. But Gareth played for me and was as a manager. When you've got a player in your team that can win you a game of football from nowhere. And he did it many times for us. I've got to say, Gareth. Fair enough. We all uh, we all agree. Let's let's ho let's hope he uh, yeah let's hope he recovers some of that form <laughs> well, soon. Yes. Oh, you're not a fan, are you? Are you right? Okay. We all are. We all are. Yeah. <laughs> we all, we all are. Bottom fans, right? Okay. <laughs> um, okay. Messi or Ronaldo? Ooh. 
Messi. Oh, we lost her. We've lost her mid, mid-sentence. Couldn't even get Ronaldo out. Such okay, a Messi well, fan. Why, why Messi over Ronaldo? Go. Um, just the way, just the type of football he plays. I think he's a magician. Ronaldo's unbelievable also, to be fair. To score that amount of goals is just freakish. He really is. And, and I think he's a... He's a credit, Ronaldo, because he's worked so hard at his game. He really has. That hasn't come easy to him. He's worked. He's obviously got a lot of talent, but he has worked tirelessly at his game, and that's where he's still going. Just watching Matt Messi play for Barcelona and the type of goals they've scored, and some of the his movement and his decision making. I, you know, I, I've definitely paid to see Messi, so I'd have to go with Messi. I think having seen what Ronaldo the, the header he produced in the semi-final of the Euros, when he. Yeah, he broke my heart. I've never seen anything like it. And I've never seen Messi play, so I think that's what swayed me to say Ronaldo. Well, no. 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 I think you need to see Messi play, because I I think I was split. I was split. But when I saw Messi play, and it was against Tottenham at Wembley, he destroyed us. And it was... Another planet. It it genuinely was another planet. I don't think I've I've never seen anything like it, where someone can glide past a player. Yeah, insane. He, he could be an alien. He could be an alien. <laughs> I mean, I've heard in strange places that he bases his game of watching you play at the Palace when you were younger. Maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe. When I played up front for Palace, yeah, yeah with battering round. <laughs> I don't, I don't think it's fair for you, for us to make you uh, argue for the rest of the night about who's better over Messi or Ronaldo. So we'll take that one as a draw. Yeah. Um, do you know what? Should I take over with Abby? Yeah. Abby A. Technical Wall. difficulties. Um, all right. Uh, Chris, Nike or Adidas? Adidas. Okay. Uh, Lampard or Gerard? What can I take both? No. Just one. <laughs> just one. Oh, God, such a tough. That's the hardest question. Both great players. Both goal scorers. Both. Managers. Gutsy for football. Oh, that's is this called quick fire questions? Or <laughs> <laughs> oh, would this Sunny go for? Gerard. Gerard. Gerard will go for, I'll go for Lampard. <laughs> <laughs> if only some England managers did the I'll same say, thing. I'll say now, the reason, one of the main reasons I go for Gerard is, I, I, I say Adam Tarpey again, he always cries when talking about Gerard's goal in the cup at, when, at the Millennium Stadium, so that brings me joy. Is Abby Abby back in the room? I'm back, sorry. My internet has dropped out about six times tonight. I've been texting you guys. I'm like, my internet keeps going. going. And we don't get it. (laughs) Sorry about Um, that. Where were we? We've just done Lampard or Gerard. What did you pick? Lampard. Lampard. Oh, okay. Okay, 40-yard screamer or tiki-taka team goal? Tiki-taka team goal. No, that that was an opposite. It's because you've orchestrated it, isn't it, Chris? You can yes. you can take the credit. I've, I've been involved in so many like tiki taka team goals. <laughs> <laughs> they wonder yeah. where Pep got it from. Yeah, listen, yeah, you learned it all here, Pep. <laughs> <laughs> Let's learn it all from you. Um, Chris, on the. T- Suit or a track oh, suit? definitely suit. Yeah, both on the suit. I mean, nowadays though, it's different now. They don't, you know, people are actually they're wearing chinos and jeans and all sorts now, and they leather jackets and very, uh, very in now, isn't it? All that. 
Pep hasn't been the same since he's wearing that Zara jumper. Yeah. That big grey one. He was he was he was invincible before that. It's awful. <laughs> he was yeah. He's been living in Manchester too long. He's, when he arrived, he was in Armani and Hugo Boss, and now he's see, he's been living in Manchester. <laughs> now, now, now he's got Mackenzie tracksuits on on the sideline. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think Abby's gone again, Liam. Finally. Oh my. No, oh, yeah. The worst thing about that is my phone's died as I've well, got so it. I haven't got the question. I've got it. Uh, last minute winner or a 5-0 thrashing? Oh, last minute winner every time. As long as it's for you, eh, Chris? Of course. Oh, yes. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I've been on the end of both, to be honest with you. Yeah. But um, yeah, last minute winner every time. Is that what you said, uh, Sonny? Yeah, last minute. Yeah. Brilliant. That was that was seamless, I would say, from our perspective. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but Fantastic. Amazing, amazing answers. No, that was brilliant. Um, thanks so much, guys. That was that was really great. Um, thanks for giving us your time. And yeah, great to hear about all of the stuff that you're involved in. And um, you'll be friends of the podcast forever. Brilliant. Thanks, Listen, guys. Thanks, yeah. Thanks for having us on, guys. And uh, good luck in everything. Happy New Year. Cheers. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Cheers, everyone. Thanks 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 so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to episode 15 of the Run and Play podcast with Chris and Sonny Coleman. A pleasure to chat about the relationship of father and son in football as a manager and agent. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Please do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and drop us a rating on whichever platform you prefer. We're not fussy. You can also follow us at One of Play Pod on Twitter and Instagram for more content and stay informed when every new episode drops. First episode of 2021 in the bag and One of Play Podcast will be back very soon with another expert guest. Stay tuned. Yeah.